The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 521 for Sunday, September 28th. Happy fall 2014. And welcome to the Mac Observers, Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in questions, tips, and cool stuff found. We answer your questions, share your tips, share your cool stuff found. All together, we like to have a lot of fun talking about the Mac and other Apple products like iPhones and iPads and uh, and software and hardware and everything. All kinds of fun. Our sponsor for the show today is Squarespace, squarespace.com slash MGG. That's where you're going to go to start setting up your website uh, and then coupon code MGG gets you 10% off. We'll talk about that more in the show here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in balmy Fairfield, Connecticut, this is John F. Brown. Balmy. Yeah, it's getting in the seventies, man. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What's going on here, man? This- Indian summer. It's fall. It's supposed to happen. That's how I it works. See. I'm actually looking forward to my drive down uh, down your way tomorrow. Is the weather supposed to be good for that? Do you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, it's going to be awesome. Sweet. That's what I, I like think. to hear. Uh, let me check my weather widget here. Yeah. Yeah. 70s, 60s at night. Oh, uh, we, we have a chance of rain up here tomorrow night. Is it is it supposed to rain down by you or no? Yeah, it shows cloudy. But, uh, oh, yeah. well, that's good. No, I don't think it's going to rain. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, good. we're... Uh, a holiday spectacular. Another fine, uh, I think it's Pepcom, right? I think it is a Pepcom event. Yeah. Yeah. Those are always fun. I always, uh, I enjoy those. It's a, it's worth the whatever. Gosh, it's probably turns. I was going to say 10 hours of travel. No, that's probably right. Yeah. Five hours down, including both ends of it. And then five hours back. So, yeah. but it's nice. We get to hang out and it's, that's good too. Yeah. Too bad they don't have more of that stuff up in Boston, but yeah. Oh yeah. 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 That's fine. It's easy enough. It's no big deal. Uh, oh, what are we going to talk about here? You know what? Let's just dive right in. Let's. Well, there's so many things to talk about. Where, do, do you? Uh, let's start with Marcus. We'll wow, answer. What? We'll answer a couple of questions. Then we'll talk about the the new iPhone wreck. We'll talk about Apple. yes, yes. The, 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 what a terrible week it must be to work in Apple QA and or Apple PR. <laughs> oh, All right. So Marcus writes. I could use some help migrating my Apple ID setup of our family to family sharing. I've been reading family sharing coverage and knowledge base articles, but still have many unanswered questions for the past couple of years. I've been using uh, a following an Apple ID setup that you've been discussing and recommending on the show. Dave, I have one Apple ID for purchases, AKA a purchase ID that is shared between all the family members to be able to access bought apps and media. And then each family member has his or her own Apple ID basically only for iCloud stuff. I struggle to decide what account I should make the organizer of family sharing. Here are the questions that should help me decide. Does the account that is organizer need to be the primary iCloud account on my devices? Should my purchases, should my purchase ID be the organizer? Should my iCloud ID be the organizer? Okay. Uh, if so, should my purchase ID become a member of family sharing as a separate user so that every member can access the previously made purchases? Okay. So, I had exactly the same problem you did and uh, and in fact started heading down this path and stopped because I realized, wait a minute, you know, 
what am I going to do here? We, we have basically the same setup as you. And, uh, and when I went to add my wife to our, our family share group, I realized, wait a minute, her uh, iCloud ID is different from the ID that of course she uses to purchase things in the store. So, uh, so we, we, you know, because here's the thing, when you set up family sharing, it's touted as this thing that is all about app store purchases. And it's great. The idea is you set up a family group and then purchases made by any of the people in the group uh, are shared amongst everyone. And all of the purchases are billed to one user's account. And that's great. Um, but it, there's more to it than that. Uh, there, It does some calendar sharing. It does it creates a family group for location sharing. It does other things. And all of these things, the family share group in iOS 8 is tied to your iCloud account, your primary iCloud account on the, uh, on the device. So that is, um, that's the issue is, is that it, it is not it, previously you'd have, an iCloud account, and then an account logged into the store. But now with family sharing, it's tied to your primary iCloud account. However, uh, it's not so bad. It, 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 the, the pages that you see on the device as you're going through setting this up are not entirely clear. Um, the way it works is you set it up for your primary iCloud ID, and then on the very next page, you get an option of setting which account you want to use for purchases. And that can be a different account. And in fact, if you had a different account listed in the store, it's going to pre-populate the field with that one instead of your iCloud ID. So go ahead and just set it up. You're not going to add your, your purchase ID as a separate member of the family share group. You're just going to assign that as your purchases ID and, uh, and leave that as your purchases ID. And it's fine. Everybody in the uh, family share group will still get access to it. And it works great. Uh, and it's, it's really that simple. Uh, Apple just needs to, and I think they're working on it. Um, they need to just add some language to that first screen to make it clear that, Hey, if you've been doing it this way in the past, it's okay. Head down this path and we will walk you through it. You're in good shape. Uh, it, it actually works great. And, and, and then once I got past that screen, it was like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah no problem. So, um, um, the, the, the one thing that gets weird is with, uh, gift cards and how payments work. So the way the family share group works is the primary person who, who created the group assumes billing responsibility for everyone in the group. Now with your kids, people under the age of 18, you can uh, turn on or off an option called authorize uh, before purchase. Right. And, and you can set other people who are over 18 as parents. So my wife and I are both set up as parents. The kids are set up as Kids, although we may turn this off for them because it really hasn't been a problem in the past and it's sort of a pain in the neck uh, at times. So, uh, but, you know, when the kids want to purchase or even download a free app, Lisa and I on our devices get a little notification. It says, do you want to allow the kid to do this? And you say yes. And then immediately it starts downloading on their device. That works fine. Billing gets a little weird. If, uh, if no one has gift cards all the billing goes to the credit card associated with the primary person's account. And it has to be a credit card. It cannot be PayPal. Uh, I figured out a way to get PayPal on, but it won't actually bill any purchases to it other than purchases from the primary account. So you got to have a credit card and that's what it gets billed to. 
That's if no one has gift cards. If one of the kids or one of the sub members, so like my wife or, or either one of the kids, I'm the primary member on it because uh, I was the one that set it up first. Uh, if, if any of the three of them have a gift card that they've applied to their accounts, their purchases first go against their gift card. And then once the gift card is wiped out, uh, their purchases come against me. If I have a gift card on my account, any purchases I make first go against the gift card. Then obviously the credit card wants the gift card to wipe out. But if I have a gift card on my account, all the purchases that Lisa and the kids make still go to my credit card. It doesn't go to my gift card, which is kind of stupid. I get why they've separated it out for the sub accounts, but for the master account, what's the freaking difference if my kid charges to my gift card versus my credit card? I just prefer the kids to have, uh, to, you know, I mean, I've got like 150 bucks worth of, of iTunes gift cards. I don't want to pay cash for anything. I just want to be charged to my gift card. That was the whole point of it. So that part's a little frustrating at the moment. Uh, I'm trying to figure out if I can buy my kids store credits with my gift card and, and essentially just chop it up and, and distribute it around. So we'll see how we'll see how that works. I may I may get uh, I may get lucky there or I may get irate and have to shake my <sighs> fist in anger. So. So that's how it works. So it, it, other than the, the payment thing, which gets a little weird with gift cards, it's really quite straightforward. So that that's how that works. Oh, oh yeah. That's good to hear. It's less less of a train wreck than it. Yeah. In, in the past. I, you know what? Honestly, I kind of when I saw the whole disconnect at first and, and didn't realize that it was all taken care of. I, got, I, I did. I posted on Twitter and I'm like, oh, man, you know, first thing out of the gate and Apple doesn't get it right. And within about four minutes, Chris Espinosa um, replied to me on Twitter and he's like, uh, what if you do this? And I did it. I'm like, oh, dude, that worked fine. He's like, yeah. Was it not clear you should do that? And I said, no, it wasn't. He's, and I, I, I told him, I said, some language on this screen would help. He's like, perfect. Thanks for the suggestion. Like, okay. Great. Apple employee number eight. Nice. All right. Moving on. Shall we? Sure. Okay. Let's keep moving here. See how it does. I'm trying to, I, I'm having caffeine this morning. We had some stream, well, not some stream oh, problems. Boy. We had some, uh, some issues with the, uh, with the equipment. Well, the, 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 I thought I had rebooted the studio computer last night and I didn't. So we're a little delayed because I'd had to reboot it. It was the right decision. Things sound good. And that's, uh, that's how it should be. All right. Uh, let's see. We are moving on to Chuck. Chuck says, I'm new to iPhone, recent convert from Android. And I just got an iPhone six. I take a lot of pictures for work and really don't want them cluttering up my personal photo stream. I would like to have an app that takes photos into a different stream. Ideally, I would want it to upload auto upload the photos to my Mac. Is there any app like that? So yes and no, um, th there, there are some, uh, the first that comes to mind is actually BitTorrent sync, which has a camera, uh, backup, functionality and uh, will sync with your Mac or Macs or windows machines or whatever you want to set it up with BitTorrent sync is a uh, serverless cloud, right? So every computer that's connected to BitTorrent sync is, is a client uh, and a server simultaneously. And it works. It actually works amazingly well. And your iPhone can participate in, in this. You, you install the app and then on your iPhone, you say, I want to, uh, do my, my share my photos or back up my photos and it'll give you a, a code and you put the code into BitTorrent sync on your Mac. And now magically 
those two are connected and they're connected whether you're on the same network, whether you're afar, you can tell it don't upload over cellular data. So only when you're on Wi-Fi, but if you happen to be at work on Wi-Fi, it will upload uh, and do your picture backup that way. So BitTorrent Sync, despite the fact that it's in beta and, and might seem like a, you know, fringe product, man, it's awesome. I've been using it to sync my, my main document store for several months now uh, and do my, my photo backup. And it works flawlessly. In fact, I thought I had a problem with it and realized the problem had nothing to do with BitTorrent. It's like it was something else causing issues. So, um, and once I turned that something else off, it's been great again. So, um, so yeah, BitTorrent Sync is probably the, the simplest answer there. Uh, if you don't want to use that, you know, Dropbox does a similar thing, of course, but you're paying for Dropbox storage because there's a server involved. Uh, Transporter does a similar thing and does some cool stuff where it'll do auto uploads in the background. If you, and, and BitTorrent sync will do this too. Um, if you, if you, uh, if you get to a certain location, um, it'll do the, the auto and, and Dropbox does that now too. So that's um, th- those are my three suggestions. Um, but, but maybe there's something else, John, what do you got? Oh, absolutely. All right. Sweet. Well, there's another one. Um, BitCasa. Okay. Tell us about it. Also, well, Bit Bitcasa is a well. That's actually a service that uh, I signed up for after um, who is it? Yeah, after SugarSync uh, uh, started uh, telling people, yeah, sorry, you know, we're we're not doing the cheapskate thing anymore. Go away. Right. I'm like, oh man. Right. It's like I I want to find another sync service Um, and Bitcasa. Uh, is a fine service and uh, I'm actually maxed out now on my free space with them, but they also do photo syncing. Actually. And how much free space do they give you? Uh, right now I'm at the maximum, which is uh 20 gigs. Okay. And it's similar to some of the other services, you know, yep. kind of like sugar sync again until they, uh, you know, and that was the thing that, that made me sad is, you know, Hey, I, you know, I promoted them in exchange for uh free space. And then all of a sudden they said, yeah, we're, we're not doing this anymore. Yeah. Th- thanks. But, you know, thanks, but no, thanks. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. That was a little, you know, I, I can see them taking away the space that, um, that they gave you for free, but, but there was a quid pro quo there with that promotion that, that you actually paid, you know, in, in my, in my eyes with, with sugar sink, those of us that promoted it and then got space because we promoted it, there was a, a quid pro quo there. And, yeah. uh, and, yeah. and BitCasa does the same thing. I maxed out right now, so okay. I have 20 gigs of space. Okay. Uh, it, it works between your, you know, there's a, a client for uh, pretty much any major platform. And actually just today, you know, I ran the uh, iOS uh, version and it comes up and says, hey, you want to sync your photos? Oh, sweet. Um, which it already did. It, you know, the, the cool thing also is that whatever folders you uh, you uh, sync from your uh, computer, yeah. when you're uh, the iOS app, it actually shows a photos category. It's kind of smart. It's like, oh, okay, well, I see that you have photos in your stream here. So you don't have to explain. Uh, so it, it's smart enough to, to look through the stuff that you're syncing and detect what photos are and let you display them. So uh, I, I would recommend, uh, you know, as long as you're not going beyond 20 gigs, um, I, I, I think it's uh, worth checking out. You know, I also, um, I, I, I checked out the Flickr app when, when looking into this and, and there's a setting in there. In fact, I want to, of course, right. Um, yeah. And so th- there's a setting inside the Flickr app because you get 
uh, you know, a terabyte free or something. Right. Yeah, yeah. And and I looked in the settings and the setting there's a setting for auto sync and it says auto sync your photos to Flickr. Your pictures are private until you share them. And so I've turned that on. And uh unless I can't see my pictures, the only stuff that I unless I can't unless I'm missing something, which I don't think I am, um I can't see any of my pictures that I haven't manually uploaded to um to flicker so I'm, I'm not quite sure what's going on with that there uh, because that would be a, a great way to do it you know you get full full size uploads which you'd get with any of the other things that that you see you know that we mentioned here um and in theory it would do it automatically but um yeah i don't know i don't know it's weird yeah why that i don't i don't even know why i didn't suggest flicker because uh, Flickr is, uh, you know, the primary service that I use to uh, share my photos. And do yours automatically upload from your from your iPhone in the Flickr app? Uh, I don't do that. No, right. actually, oh, that's right. We talked I, about that. You use Instagram well, and Instagram and, and Instagram. Uh, when I share a photo that I've taken on the phone, uh, Instagram will push it both to Flickr and um, Twitter in addition and, to a couple other services. And there's well. a big asterisk there, though, because Instagram takes that photo and and resize and shrinks it down to 640 by 640 so you aren't getting full-size photos if you if you if you use instagram that way yeah they they square the photos well they don't just square them i think down and they shrink them down sample a bit well it's more more than a bit it's down to 640 by 640 which is pretty Hmm. lame when you're taking pictures with an eight megapixel camera so um Hmm. so you know bear, bear that in mind if your Flickr is is not if you are using Flickr through Instagram or if you're using anything through Instagram, you're not getting a backup of your, your, your good photos. You're getting a backup mm-hmm. of your Instagramized photos. And that's, that's just, that's just how it works. So, yeah, I'm not sure what's up with this Flickr thing and why it doesn't do its auto, uh, it's auto thing, but you know, that's how it works, I guess. All right. Uh, anything else or is it time to, time to move on here? Moving on. All right, Roland. Roland has, um, well, he's got an interesting question. He says, uh, I can only imagine the flood of emails you've been receiving since iOS 8's release. Uh, I've noticed two things that bug me in the messages app, and I can't figure out how to remedy them. When I text a photo, there is a header that displays the location, time, and date of the photo to the person I texted it to. Um, How do I stop this? Do I have to stop location services to all photos? That seems a little harsh. And then number two, I can no longer seem to delete individual messages from a conversation. I can still select multiple messages in a conversation, but uh, the trash can doesn't seem to be there. All right. So as far as the location thing, um, I've tried this and we've gone back and forth a little bit uh, with Roland. I've, I've tried this and it seems like it's only sharing my location of on pictures with people that I have said I will share my location with in uh, find my friends. So it, it, but, but I'm not entirely certain of that, Uh, but it, it seems like there's, there's a wall there that, that sort of includes several apps and, and makes a decision for you at, at that point. Have you, have you messed with that at all, John? Mm, Not really. 
All right. Well, that there's more to there's more to learn there. In fact, I'd be curious what uh, what the rest of you are seeing out there. That would that would actually be very helpful. As far as deleting individual messages, it's there. Um, it's a, a little hidden, but it's there. Now, I'm told that it's not there in iOS 8.0, uh, but it is there in iOS 8.0.2. So I'm going to check this and see. But if you go uh, into your messages uh, and then tap and hold on a given message and hit the more button, uh and I, I see this in both iOS 8.0 and in, in 8.0.2. So it's, it's working in both places. Once you choose the more button, you can select individual messages. You get little uh, radio buttons, checkbox type things next to, uh, I guess they're not radio buttons because they're, you can select multiples, but anyway, you can put little check marks next to the images that you want to do something with or the, the messages that you want to do something with. And then uh, you've got two buttons at the bottom. One is a uh, a share button which allows you to share that message or messages or those messages with other people and then the other one's a trash can and so you can hit that trash can button and uh and then all is good so that's how that's done and it it uh, at least for me on my iPad in 8.0 which is the only device I have still on 8.0 um it works fine and and on the on the phones in 8.0.2 it works fine there as well. Oh, so, yeah, no, I just, no, I just fired this up on my iPhone and it says, allow messages to access your location when you use the app. Right. Right. Uh, no. <laughs> well, no, that's good. You want to do that in iOS eight because you, you want to be able to share your location with, with the people you choose to share it with. No, I no, I don't. Okay. Um, mysterious. Yeah, of course. It, another <laughs> tweak in messages. If, uh, if you're looking at your messages and you want to see what time a, a specific message was sent or received, it's not obvious, but if you tap in the middle of kind of the message stream and drag to the left, you will see the timestamps magically drag in from the right side of the screen, which is pretty cool. Does that work yeah, for you, John? Look at, look at this. Oh, yeah. No, I've known about that for okay. a while. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think that's that. new in iOS 8, right? Hey, or maybe look, it is. Showing, it's showing me that you're home. Wow. I know. Yeah. What's this text under your contact? Oh, man. <laughs> I'll tell you about that later. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, have, I, don't know what, I don't know what you're seeing, but I'm hoping it's good. I'll tell you later. Okay. Good. All right. Um, speaking so, of Dave, you yeah. know, it's funny. I, I noticed you missed something. So what did I like miss? Huh? I think uh, uh, if I heard you right, you were talking about iOS eight and then all of a sudden you started talking about iOS 8.0.2. I, I noticed that you kind of missed talking about 8.0.1. Yeah. Why is that Dave? Well, 8.0.1 <laughs> was available for all of about 40 minutes, I think. <laughs> On uh, on Thursday, maybe a little longer. Maybe it was an hour and twenty minutes, but uh, but it's certainly and I got, and I got wasn't it, longer. Actually, did you really? Oh, good for oh, you. Oh, and I installed it too. Okay, now you installed yeah. it on a five S, right? And iPad Air, which um, yeah, worked great. I, 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 I didn't I didn't see any problems. How about you? <laughs> uh, no, I, well, I I didn't install it on any of my phones, um, but uh, yeah, it, it and I actually at that point in time, I'm trying to think. Thursday was the day that both phones arrived. So the iPhone six plus that I purchased didn't get here until probably 6 PM Eastern. 
Um, so that was well after the uh, iOS 8.0.1 update had been pulled. And then uh, I, the iPhone 6, which Apple's loaned me for a little while to test out. I think that was here by then, but I, I hadn't I didn't do the update, thankfully. Um, so. So. Uh, you want to talk about this, John? Well, basically, um, yeah, it was a, a, a kind of a, you know, we're talking about train wrecks here, but yeah. uh, oh my gosh. So uh, like everyone else, you know, I was online and, uh, you know, dogpiled like everyone else saying, oh, I got to get the latest software, even though I don't think I really need it. I, I want to download it and install it anyways. And shortly thereafter, we started getting reports from people saying, hey, you know what? 8.1 has this uh, annoying side effect that it... <laughs> <laughs> clobbers uh, both your cell service in that uh, after people installed 8.0.1 uh, their phone would all of a sudden say no service um, up in the menu bar instead of whatever per- normally you should see the name of your provider up there and some dots sure so uh, but it, it didn't only clobber that but it also clobbered uh, touch ID and then I was like oh man you know because while while I was reading this you know it, it was in progress um, right uh, on my phone, so I'm like, oh man, you know, let me um, you know, let me kill all data services, you know, turn off uh, Wi-Fi, turn off cel- uh, uh, cellular, and see if I can halt this. And and I halted it. Uh, you know, where where it got to the install uh, now phase. Um, oh, okay, yeah, sure, sure. And then as I read more and more, uh, people then qualified their statement saying, oh, this only seems to affect the six and six plus. Uh, and I'm like, Oh, okay, well, you know, I'm going to take one for the team and I'm going to install it. Sure. And uh, I have the five S and, uh, and it's all just fine. So, um, but you know, I got to wonder what happened. It, it was funny because a lot of people did coverage of this and, you know, I, I even saw some people, you know, trying to defend Apple saying, well, you know, it's not due to incompetence or people. And I'm like, you know, it, really kind of is i think oh yeah now somebody somebody missed the boat i mean clearly somebody missed I'm the boat thinking i'm thinking what happened uh, you know and reflecting on this i mean you know things apple it happens apple it, has you know very talented software engineers and, sure. and, uh, and other people like that i've seen this sort of thing happen in in a you know enterprise environment before i'm almost certain what happened is someone made a change at the last minute right saying, oh, let me let me let me just do this one thing before you roll it out. And it's like, okay, go ahead. And it's like, yeah. oops. Yep. <laughs> yep. And I had that happen before. I actually, I actually remember at one point was doing a, um, you know, a demo for the big cheese at a, you know, company I, I, I used to work for and, and was an intern. And I said, do not change anything in the code for this demo because it's to an important person. And, you know, I went away and came back and, and he made a change. And I'm like, you know what? I'm I'm pulling the demo. Sorry. Right. He's like, but no, I just, and I'm like, no, no. What, what did I say? <laughs> I said, don't change anything. It's frozen. And he unfroze it. And it's like, and, and as it turns out, it was a good call because he, he did muck something up. So uh, well, it happens, right? I mean, you know, it, this is why we go through the process of debugging and then why in a, in a larger scale and, and Apple definitely does this. You go through the process of QA handing the frozen code to someone else that that doesn't know that that can see the forest from the trees, right? You, you know, 
Uh, because as, as the programmer on a project, you you know the path to take because it's the path you coded, right? Whereas you give this to a QA engineer and and that person can now go through in their own way and test it. And it's it. Yeah, I'm sure you're right. Because that I've heard stories of that happening at Apple. Uh, some actually very funny stories about people, you know, trading concert tickets and and other, you know, things of value for uh, including cash for um, uh, for, you know, for the ability to to sneak something in because they wanted a feature in the next, you know, OS 10 update and, and things like that. It, 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 I mean, there's there are actually some of these are stories of legend, um, but uh but it happens, and and I'm sure you're right. This moved very quickly. To, to their credit, I, and I and I agree with you 100 percent that somebody screwed up, and and we need to say that. And and I don't, you know, <laughs> because it's true. I also think Apple did the right thing by pulling the update as quick as they could, and then posting yes. instructions about, hey, mea culpa, we screwed up. If you happen to be affected, here's the steps you take to go back. And then they had the up the, the the final or the the 802 update out within what about 36 hours or so, right? I mean it it went yeah. pretty quick. Yeah. And also the you know Mac uh, tech community um Yeah. Right, we all helped we all pitched figured, in. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean I saw various outlets in, including Mac Observer mm. but also some others uh quickly uh you know because people wanted to <laughs> Right. Use their phone again. Right. <laughs> We're like, okay, here's how you fix this problem. You swap out this and do that and and uh but yeah, yeah, that that was that was kind of unfortunate. Uh, let's let's, PR let's talk them. about because that's not the only um, uh, potential PR disaster that's happened this week. Um, although it's the only one that Apple is truly responsible for, um, solely I should say responsible for. There's this shell shock thing, John. Did you hear about this shell shock? Shell shock. Right. Um, Isn't that what I it's haven't called? been in combat recently. Okay. Okay. Yes, absolutely. I heard about it and I'm, I'm going to wag my finger at some of the coverage. Okay. Go. Similar to Heartbleed. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So what is shell shock? So someone found in the bash shell. So what, what is that? You may ask. And uh, if you go to the terminal, uh, there are various programs that will process your input on your behalf. And one of them is called bash. And uh, from what I've seen, that is actually the default. It is. That's right. Yep. Um, under OS 10. Yep. And all of a sudden somebody found a bug where if you fiddle with the environment variables and, and you type things in a certain way, an attacker could um, uh, compromise your system. That's right. The thing where I have to finger wag is similar to Heartbleed is that it's not like, the hackers of the world are all of a sudden going to dogpile on your machine and take it over. It's not, it doesn't, right? Yes, it is a potential attack vector. Someone could take advantage of your system. But what I saw a lot of, with a lot of the coverage is that there's a caveat in that you have to have a system that's running certain things um, in order for you to even be susceptible, right? Probably. So here's as far as most people know, and even Apple um, addressed this, too, that they said, you know what, Um, for the most part, unless you're running some advanced Unix services, you probably don't have to worry about which was the stupidest thing Apple PR has done all week. Yeah. Saying the words advanced Unix services and not qualifying that. Okay, is so irresponsible. Okay, I mean, that really, as you can tell, that got me fired up. Also, <laughs> okay. also okay. the caffeine. 
Um, but uh, <laughs> run with but, it, man. Yeah. No. So okay. So the way heart. Uh, sorry. The way shell shock works, and this bug, as far as we know, has at least been in Bash for a decade, and probably right. <laughs> for three decades, with no known widespread exploits. Now, I, I I'm careful to say that I am certain people have exploited this, and I'm pretty mm. sure Newt Sears was exploiting this uh, about 20 years ago when um, in an unrelated story, I had a, an account on the read vax, but anyway, um, uh, so I, I, I think this, this bug has been known about in very small circles for a while, but, uh, but obviously didn't come to come to light and, until recently, but no one has, has created even now to my knowledge, no one has created a widespread exploit for it. The way it works is um, your, uh, as John said, the, the bash shell is is the thing that you are interacting with when you're in the terminal, at least by default. If you've changed it, then you already know that. But um, or if you've upgraded and never done if you've only done migration assistance since like 10.2, you might be still running T shell. But uh, but by and large, you're going to be running bash on, on your Mac. And the way um, the, the way this bug works is bash allows you to set. Um, in memory variables uh, and environment variables. And, and they, they, that's is what they're called, but they live in memory. They're resident variables and they are things typically used for things like uh, here's the path to the application I want to use as my editor, or here's my time zone or things like that, that, that just need to live in memory and, and you can call upon them in, in your scripts and other, other ways and, and get them. Uh, the problem is, as it turns out, and this is what Shellshock uh, is all about, is you can stuff commands inside of those environment variables and then they run. Now, this doesn't seem like a very big deal. Yes, it shouldn't happen. But if you're already at the terminal, uh, the fact that you can stuff a command into an environment variable and get it to run is really not that big of a deal because duh you're already at the terminal you could just type the stupid command right so it's not that big of a deal if you've got shell access on a computer uh you are you're already good right you don't shell shock isn't going to help you at all uh if you're a nefarious attacker where this becomes a problem is if you are running a uh a service or a script that relies on bash to do some of its work now, we as programmers, especially web programmers, know that relying on the shell to do work for a web environment is very, very risky and irresponsible. And so, therefore, we do it all the time, right? It, 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 we know these two things, but it's super simple because we live in the shell all the time. When it comes time to solve a quick problem, you know how to do it in the shell. So you say, oh, great, I'll let my web server attach to the shell by means of a CGI script. And I'll use that script uh, to do some work and then return the result or do whatever it needs to do back up through CGI common gateway interface to the web. Now, most of the time, the person on the web has no idea what engine is processing their request. You might be able to tell by URLs, but sometimes not even that. Right. Um, and that's where the problem comes in, because if it, and this, I'm going to get very specific here. Uh, my guess is that there are no widely used scripts that would be susceptible to this. Although there may be, my guess is that all the scripts that are susceptible to this are like the ones I just described. You had a quick problem that was unique to you. An existing solution was not out there. So you wrote a shell script, you put it in place and boom, problem solved, move on to the next 
dilemma. Uh, so if someone knows how your script works and knows what the names of your variables are and how those variables get populated, it's possible that they could put some information, inject some information, like instead of putting it, if, if somehow in your script, you're taking what a user enters as their first name and stuffing that into an environment variable. Now, why you would do that, you might, right? It might be the simplest way to solve the problem, even though it's not the best. And, and so if the user knows that, they could put a, a big long string in uh, as their first name that executes a command, creates them an account on your computer, uh, sets the password to something they know, and then would allow them to log in. And this is what, what Shellshock could do. You just heard me explain this. The person on, on both the person attacking needs to know a lot about this script that's running. Right. And this is why we haven't seen. Is it good that this bug is is getting patched? Absolutely. You know, um, but it's this is not a huge like, you know, run screaming in the streets kind of problem. Um, but but again, it's good that it's being patched now. I was, you know, when I first heard about it, Jeff said, can you come on, on uh, Timo Daily Observations and talk about it? I started, I said, well, let me research it first because I didn't want to go on and, and make stuff up. Um, and I went on I, I, and started reading it. And at first I was like, whoa, holy crap. We got to patch our web server right away. And there's a little test. If you go to shellshocker.net, there's a little test you can do. In fact, there's two tests you can do. Oh. Turns out there's five tests you can do. They, this, this is a developing thing, right? So, um, and there's multiple patches. At first, there was just one patch that you would have to do. And then there was a, somebody realized, oh, no, that patch doesn't fix this particular use case. And uh, now, as it turns out, there are five different patches at shellshocker.net. And thankfully, we run uh, CentOS on our uh, thing and our hosts keep us up to date on this stuff. So, um, so they, they were actually in the process of patching all the servers anyway, and, and, and in fact have done ours. And so we're in good shape. Uh, they use, uh, because we run CentOS, we use a package manager there. And so the, the simple thing is, I think, I think the command, if I'm, if I'm remembering, is just yum, which is the name of the package manager update bash. And then that's it. It updates bash and you're good to go. OS 10 ha has a package manager, but it does not yet have the new version of bash in it and os 10's package manager is what we call software update okay so we cannot install an updated version of bash that way yet because apple hasn't released one into their repository right of software update but you could compile your own version of bash or you could make your life really really simple and uh use brew homebrew which is a uh, an additional package manager for OS 10 and uh, installing homebrew on your Mac literally takes one step from the one, one command on the command line. And then from there uh, you just go to the command line and, and uh, you would, you would install bash. And then you have to do one little thing to move Apple's bash out of the way and put Brew's bash in where, uh, where that would be. And then, and then you're good to go. But again, unless you're running a publicly accessible web server or some other publicly accessible service, an FTP server may, may be exploitable too. Um, especially if it's running a certain type of FTP server, right? But right. But you know, these things are possible. So 
if you're running public services on your Mac, then yeah, go ahead. And, and you know, where you need to pay attention is on like things like our disk stations, right? Because those are yeah. running, right? Those are running Linux. Unix. Yep. Uh, a lot of routers are running yes. embedded Linux. Yes. Um, yes. So somebody could hijack your, uh, I don't believe Apple's. It, a lot of routers are running embedded Linux, but not running bash. I noticed my router because that was that was something I was really worried about. And I looked and it the, the bug doesn't exist because my router runs a very uh, slimmed down version of the shell because it doesn't have a lot of RAM. Right. It does have a lot of RAM, but they didn't used to. And so they've they've, you know, hacked these things down and said, OK, we only need, you know, a subset of the commands because it's just a router. So, you know, we don't need full bash. And so a lot of these things don't aren't a problem on uh, on routers. So yeah, check out shellshocker.net. Not only do they have the tests there, but they have instructions on how to update uh, OS 10, all, all uh, flavors of Unix, but, but OS 10 is there and, and they do walk you through very, very quickly how to do it with brew. So we'll put that in, uh, in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but, but that's a good caveat. If you're running a server, then it's something you should be concerned about. I would say. Yeah. And and I'm with you the the whole the, and and it, it was even who was it CERT I think which is you know the United States Computer Emergency Readiness Team and others uh, I'm not happy with the way they reported it because they all said oh my gosh it's a ten out of ten as far as you know you know a, a threat and it's easily exploitable and I'm like guys 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 same with Heartbleed uh, all the, the they started getting people in a panic and Heartbleed uh, while it's also a, a, a threat was a threat. Yep. Was something that, you know, your, your, you know, basic script kitty isn't going to be <laughs> just throw together. And, and, uh, you know, it was a, it was a pretty sophisticated, you had to do a lot of things in the background in order to, uh, you know, take advantage of this exploit. Yeah. So, yeah. <sighs> it's crazy. So, and speaking of, getting people in a panic and bad PR, Dave. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> the final one here. <laughs> we'll move on to some more questions, I think. But this one just got me. So I'm going to call it because I think this name totally embraces the, the nature of the problem is Bend Ghazi. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For those unfamiliar, um, uh, the, there was a, a, a attack against our embassy in uh, Benghazi, uh, right. Libya. And a lot of, and the, the, I don't, I don't know, in my personal opinion, a lot of people uh, uh, felt there were things happening that, that really weren't, um, that it was, it was an overblown non-scandal. Now, some people may still believe that it is a big scandal, I, uh, though I think most people have concluded that it's not. You, you know that I emotionally support all conspiracy theories, right? Even yeah, if I don't intellectually they, support them, I, I like them. Yeah. yeah. All I'm going to say is that they had, you know... Hearings upon hearings upon hearings, and for the most part, everybody's come to the conclusion that there was not, in fact, any sort of scandal. Though there are some that will believe that, yes, there was. Moving <laughs> along. So, um, yeah, and, and you know that this one got me angry, too. So all of a sudden, it hit the media here that, oh, gosh, there's a, there's a quality issue with the, uh, with the iPhone 6. It's like, really? What is it? <laughs> and you can six plus. have one, Dave. Well, people, uh, the 6 Plus. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and the controversy, and and I even saw a video, and but this one made me angry. <laughs> um, they were like, "Oh my gosh, the phone bends." It's like, "Oh, 
Yeah. Okay. A consumer device made made out of aluminum bends. Yeah. yeah a thin, a thin, long consumer device made out of aluminum bends. Yes. What right. got me is the one video that I saw, and I wish I could reach through the screen and punch the guy, but he was. It, it, it was a video of a guy bending the phone, and he said, right. "Oh, and I'm doing this for science." Right. And it's like, dude, if you're not going to tell me the amount of force that is required to bend this, you are not a scientist, and you are not doing this for science. You're you're just trying to get. Patriots. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> What's the issue? <laughs> and, as it, and as it turns out, I think, uh, well, uh, I don't know if you've tried to bend your phone, but, but it turns out a substantial amount of force is required in order to bend the iPhone 6 Plus. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Consumer Reports did uh, some testing and they um, they found that as it turns out, the iPhone 6 Plus is stronger than the standard iPhone 6. It took uh, 90 pounds of pressure to bend the six plus and only 70 pounds to bend the six. Uh, but there were, and I'm, I'm looking here, the uh, galaxy note three was, uh, was the, the winner in terms of the fact that it takes 150 pounds of pressure to, uh, to test, to, to, to bend that one. And, and, and consumer reports also said that, uh, one of Apple's tests, and I don't know where they get their information, uses uh, only 55 pounds of pressure to test their devices, which mm. now why they've chosen 55. There, there may well be a reason or there may not be. Right. But um, but here's the deal. So uh, I've had uh, an iPhone six plus since Thursday and a and a six. I've decided to use um, one of them, and I want to talk about this, but but I've decided to use the six plus first, and I'm going to give it a, a you know a couple of days week to test and get used to it, and then switch to the six and do the same thing a couple of days week, and then decide which one is right for me. And I'll I'll keep you posted. In fact, I want to talk about my findings, but I want to talk about our our first sponsor first. However, what I will say before we do that is that I have had the six plus in my pocket, um, walk and in and, and in jeans, so the tightest pockets I would wear. Uh, I've had it in uh, walking. It's fine. I've had it driving in my car where I'm sitting and, you know, kind of cramped in. It's fine. I had it uh, sitting it, you know, it, at a, at a, a restaurant. It's fine. I've had it sitting at my drums. It's fine. I've had no issues. This is my front pocket that I've had this device in. So uh, it has not bent, nor has it been uncomfortable, uh, but I am also six three, so my legs and therefore my pockets may be deeper than yours. I don't know, um, but uh, but there you go. So that's that's my that's my story, and I'm sticking to it with that. Can we can we talk about our our first sponsor here, John? I insist. All right, great. So this is uh, our, our first sponsor for this show is Squarespace. Squarespace dot com slash mgg. These folks uh, have taken the idea of setting up designing and hosting a website and packed it all into one. You don't have to worry about shell shock. They worry about that, right? You don't have to worry about coding HTML. If you don't want to, they worry about that. What you worry about is designing your website visually right there inside the web browser that you would use to view the site. And it really is that simple. I mean, we've had, you know, WYSIWYG editing uh, in many capacities for years, but doing it inside your web browser on the web 
makes a lot of sense because that is the environment in which you're going to be seeing it. So any of those weird interpretive things that might happen, you know, if you, if you were to happen to code this manually on your computer and then you, you look on the web and you're like, Oh, it's different. That stuff doesn't happen with Squarespace because it's all right there in your web browser. And it's super, it's super easy. You visit squarespace.com slash MGG. You don't type in your name. You don't give them a credit card, nothing. The first thing you do is pick a template that you want to use. And they have these gorgeous templates that they have designed. Uh, they've worked, they work for months on each one of these templates. They make sure they work in all browsers and they also make them responsive. And what that means is the template itself changes depending on the size of the device viewing it. So when somebody visits you from their Mac, it looks good. When somebody visits you from their iPhone, it is an iPhone design, but there's no different URL. It doesn't send people to, you know, m.davethenerd.com. It just, just www.davethenerd.com. That's my blog. That's at, at Squarespace. And it resizes automatically because the templates that they've built are perfectly designed for all of and tested as we talked about earlier in the show uh, for all of these devices before they're rolled out. And what's cool is um, because these templates are all built by Squarespace, uh, you can customize them. As I said, you can put your own pictures and you can relay them out. Even uh, if you know HTML or even get like a snippet of code from somewhere that you want to inject into your page, you can do that too. That's totally flexible. You drag your own pictures in and it's cool. You drag them in from the desktop and they just magically appear in the page and then you can resize them and tweak them and all that stuff. But um, if you, you know, maybe you have a template, you set it up, you like it for uh maybe a month, maybe a year, and then you decide it's time for a change. Well, what's cool is you go into Squarespace, you say, I want to change my template. All of your content is magically inside this new template, reformatted to fit that template. They make sure that fields and, and locations for all of your content for the type of site that you're publishing have room in the right templates for that type of site. It's really cool. Highly recommend you check it out. And they've also got uh, integration with uh, payment processing and, and, and they use Stripe. So you don't need to get a merchant account. All you need to do is have a place where they can send your money and, uh, and you can get completely set up with you going from all you have is a, a bank account where they could deposit money and nothing else. And within an hour, you could be up online with a website with uh, payment processing attached to it and receiving money good to go. It really is streamlined and these folks know what they're doing. And here's the thing. You can get 10% off of your first purchase with coupon code MGG. So go sign up, you know, you get 14 days free once you sign, once you, once you create your, uh, your template and all that stuff. And then once you're ready to go live, you, uh, you, you put in coupon code MGG. I recommend signing up for a year because you're not going to change web hosts, you know, more often than that. So sign up for a year. You get it for eight bucks a month, plus your 10% off uh, or minus your 10% off, I should say. And, uh, and you're good to go. And then once you've set up your site, do us a favor, tweet us at Mac geek is us on Twitter and, uh, and tweet us with uh, the, your website address and the hashtag Squarespace shout out. And we'll go ahead and uh, promote your site to, uh, to everybody that follows us there on, on Twitter. So check it out. Squarespace.com slash MGG. They're good folks and uh, appreciate their sponsorship. And I appreciate all the sites you folks create. It's, it's quite amazing. All right. So John, these two iPhones, 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, as I said, I've, I have them both. I've got them set up, but uh, and I've, I've of course used them both. But uh, but for right now, I'm focusing on the six plus, and uh, it's big, right? There, there's no question about it. But uh, it's super handy having a device like this everywhere I go. Uh, the other night. I had stopped to uh, to get gas and I got a text from, I had just left the office. I was on my way somewhere and I got a text from, from John Donahue at backbeat saying, Hey, we shouldn't have started this campaign or, or we need to stop this campaign because the sponsor wants to change their, their banner creative. And I thought, okay, well stop it here. And then when I get back to the office later, I'll go in and, and do the other thing that needs to be done. Just, it was a kind of a weird setup with this campaign. And then I thought I got back in the car. I'm like, wait a minute. I don't need to wait till I get home. I've got this huge screen with me here. And sure enough, it was totally cake to go into the web interface and tweak everything out. And, and it, you know, it didn't feel cramped. It was just great. And, uh, and then I texted him. I said, I actually took care of it. All good. And I've had a couple of instances like that where having, in fact, I've had more than a couple. I've had a lot of instances where having this big screen with me really makes a difference. And, um, and other than, uh, this theater show that I'm doing where I need to use an app that is iPad only. Uh, I have not used my iPad, um, my retina iPad mini since I got the the six plus, And that's a conscious decision. I want to see how it is running things on this and reading is fine. Uh, I, email is great. Ha- having this, this larger device really makes a difference. Um, my only complaint and I wrote an article about this the other day. My only complaint is applications, right? Because Apple has designed this device uh, and they've designed their own apps to work with it. But third-party apps, this, this device truly sit, you know, I, I know a lot of people hate the word phablet, but um, it's the right name for the six plus because it sits in between the sizes of a phone and a tablet, right? And it, it sort of does both. It runs iPhone apps. It does not run iPad apps because iPad apps are four by three uh, aspect ratio and phone apps are much closer to 16 by nine or, or perhaps exactly 16 by nine. But when you run an iPhone five app on this thing that has not yet been uh, updated either with auto layout or with specific design choices for um, for the, the six plus or six. And this happens on the six two, albeit to a lesser degree. The system zooms the entire app in, not just the app, but the clock at the top gets zoomed in and the keyboard at the bottom gets zoomed in. So that gets a little frustrating because, you know, in some apps, the keyboard is smaller and some apps it's bigger. And uh, it it makes these iPhone five apps feel kind of like a clown show. Uh, Now, I don't blame developers for this. They've they've known about the the size of the six and six plus for less than two weeks. Right. But it's up to them to make this experience work or not work because the apps that have been updated show a lot of promise. Uh, You know, a year from now, will this platform uh, be fantastic? Probably. You know, is it fantastic right now? Sometimes. And other times it feels like a clown show. Uh, But it, you know, there's enough of it that works. You know, I posted an article and talked about this and showed uh, the Facebook app, which hasn't been updated. And then of course, Facebook on the web, which is in Safari, which is Apple's app. So therefore has been updated. And um, it's a much better experience uh, through Safari right now because everything isn't, you know, overblown and, uh, and all of that. But um, 
As I mentioned, it fits in my pocket just fine. It has yet to bend. I don't expect it to bend. Uh, I don't have a case on it, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to remedy that before I come down to see you tomorrow, John, because I don't want to go into Manhattan without a case on this thing. If, if in fact my experiment with the iPhone six leads me to decide to go with that instead, uh, I I, want to make sure this thing is in pristine condition when I return it. So, um, but it's, you know, it's, it's a great device. It's, um, there's some there's some UI stuff I need to get used to. Uh, they did that whole thing with the um, reachability mode, where when you tap the bottom, uh, when you tap the uh, the Touch ID sensor, it brings the top of the screen down so that you can you can touch it uh, easily with your thumb, and that's fine. Except the device is not balanced to be held at the bottom; it's balanced to be held in the middle, which means that reaching the top or the bottom of the screen is sort of the same kind of stretch. So uh, I'm not exactly sure how that's supposed to work yet. Um, but I have, I have been successful, you know, texting uh, with one hand, um, you know, that kind of thing. What, what I would love to have is a keyboard that, um, that, that shifts everything to the left, basically take the size that a keyboard would be on an iPhone five. And, uh, and then just put it left aligned so that I can type with my left thumb and I don't have to reach all the way over to the right or a right aligned keyboard for, for people that want to type with their right thumb, right? That would be a cool thing. Um, and probably very easy to do and probably something that would sell like hotcakes for 99 cents. But, um, it's good. Do you have any questions, John? <clears throat> no, I'll wait to, uh, see you. Yeah. 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 It sounds like what, what they have to do. And, uh, I, I've, dabbled with android um yeah. devices and, and i don't know if apple is at this point yet but it sounds like what they need to do last i looked at android i think they actually have four classifications for for screen sizes when you write your apps right where you say okay if it's small do this if it's medium do this if it's large do this and um i guess they're not yet at that point and it sounds like that's what you're suggesting uh, should should happen at some it, point it should yeah exactly is because it's a unique form factor that they should uh people should have uh, developers should eventually tailor their applications to say oh i'm running on six plus so i should look like this yeah you know at, at wwdc apple was doing their best to telegraph this thing coming by by in every session the mantra was stop designing for fixed sizes and use auto layout and and give rules and parameters uh, to how an app should behave on any given uh, screen size and pixel depth. And, uh, and if you did that, then, you know, things like, like we're in the, in the mail app on the, on the six plus, and this doesn't happen on the six, but in the six plus, if you're in the mail app and you turn it and go uh, landscape mode, it, it feels more like an iPad at that point. You get a, a list of your messages on the left and then the, the text of your message or the content, I should say, of your message on the right. Uh, and if you go back into portrait mode, then it's back to kind of what I would call normal iOS mail mode where you know you just have a list and you tap a message and then it, it moves you to that message. So it, and that's where auto layout really comes in uh, to play. So we'll see. We'll see. But it's it's interesting. Um. And I, like I said, I've been happy with the device. I'm curious to see how I like it in my pocket with a case on it. Um, one thing that I will mention about the iPhone six is Apple sent it to me with uh, one of their cases, the silicone case. This case is awesome. It's one of my, it, it's thin, but it clearly feels protective. 
Uh, it's not difficult to get on or off the device, but it doesn't just fall off the device. Um, it feels good sliding in and out of my pocket. Uh, it, it's awesome. So if you're looking for a case for your six or perhaps for the six plus, I mean, I'm assuming it, it's going to feel the same on that. Then, uh, and that's a way to go. Um, check that out. They have the, the silicone and then for a couple bucks more, the leather. I really like the feel of the silicone one. So that's, uh, that's worth checking out. So any other questions or thoughts on that? Or we just, we'll, we'll let it iterate as we, uh, as we move on. If you folks have any questions, of course, please ask and we'll, we'll queue them up. We'll queue them up. All right. Where are we here? We've been all over the place with this show, John. We're at the one hour and 10 second mark for, uh, okay. for those counting at home. Oh, I got 24, 25 seconds. Okay. Well, questions. you started recording earlier than me. Right, right, right. 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 So, um, questions. Let's go to a question. Yeah. Um, Thad has a question. Um, and the question is as follows. Is there an easy way to give my wife read-only access to my home folder and everything in it? She has an account on my computer. I don't want to share my password with her just in case things go foobar. Without my password, I will know she is not to blame. Well, that's, that's actually really smart, right? You know, it, it, it limits the opportunity for, um, it, for blame, <laughs> But, but also that that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I get it. I mean, I'm, I'm seeing a trust issue here, which yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're not marriage counselors, so. Oh, that, that's interesting. I didn't read it that way at all. But, I did. Uh, okay. Yeah. No, I, I read it that he doesn't want to have, uh, he, Oh no, I get, I get it. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. But anyway, <laughs> move on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well to me, one way to address this, um, would be as follows is highlight your home folder because uh, what's going to happen normally is that um, from what I've seen so so if if she logs in right now what should happen is if she goes to the hard drive and then I guess uh, users and then um, you know to his account it's going to show you know a little circle with a line through it saying go away you can't get to this that that's the default behavior uh, last I checked of OS 10 for different accounts is normally different accounts, uh, uh, different user accounts cannot see one another. Admin can, I think, or even admin. No. Anyways, here's one thing you could do. So highlight your home folder, right click on it or do a get info. And what you're going to see on the bottom is a little section. You may have to click on the triangle to expose it called sharing and permissions. Sounds like exactly what we want to do, Dave. Yep. I, I think. And then you'll see a little plus sign. Um, and what it should show, the, the default will be something along the lines of, you know, access for you is read and write. Okay. And then access for everybody else is probably no access. So one thing you can do is you can add uh, what I'll call a rule here or a permission, if you will. And you, uh, there's a little plus sign. So what you do is you click on the little plus sign in the lower left-hand corner. And then you're going to get a list of the users. And so what you want to do is select uh, your wife's account and then you click on the select button and then you're going to see and and i believe uh, let me look here I, I believe it actually defaults to read only yeah so i just created a new rule here and the privilege will be read only i think that's exactly what you want to do right yeah i think that would work 
Um, so that's that's uh, to to directly answer his question. Uh, if if you see the answer as how do I grant permission to do this, that's the way to do it. But I, y- you go. No, you're I, totally I you right. Thoughts about how to accomplish this? Yeah, uh, no, you're totally right. If 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 we're answering the crust the question specifically, this is the answer, right? It it it's the way to do it. Um, my my concern with uh, solving this problem this way. And, and, and by problem, I'm, let's abstract it out of, I want to give my wife read only access to my documents, as opposed to, I want to give my wife read only access to my home folder. Um, the issue is there are things, um, maintenance scripts that you may run, uh, where you're resetting the home folder permissions and then breaking this potential change. Um, and, and, Again, resetting the home folder permissions is not something that happens automatically. It's not what happens when you go into disk utility and choose repair permissions that resets everything else, uh, systems, permissions, apps, and things like that, but not your, your home folders. But if you do run the home folder reset, that's going to blow this away and, and, and get you back to, to ground zero, which is at times what you want. Um, I, I feel like a better way would be to use the, um, the shared folder. So if you look in uh, your home folder and then go up one level uh, to see all the users uh, or you go to the hard drive and go into the users folder, you'll see your user, presumably your wife's got an account. So you'll see hers and then you'll see a shared folder there. And this would be a better place to put things that you want to be shared. And then you still can set read permissions and ownership and all of that on things that you've put into this shared folder and it, it, when you do all those repairs and things, it, this is excluded from that. So it, it's sort of built for that. Um, again, though, this may not be what you want because you, um, you know, when you back up your home folder, this does not get included, right? You know, when you back up your documents folder, this does not get included because it's not in your home folder. It's not in your documents folder. So you, you need to decide um, which way you want to solve this problem. There's nothing wrong inherently with doing it either way but as we've explained both of them kind of come with caveats so that's um that's there you go that that's my thoughts on it you know i mean my final thought on it is that if you had something like a uh, a nas device right where you stored your documents there then you have some uh permission things that you can set and not worry about os10 changing them because it's not on your OS 10 device, but that, that abstracts it out even more and probably is not the right path to head down. Uh, but worth mentioning. So, right. Any other, any other thoughts on that, John, or did we cover it? No, we're, yeah, okay. we're good. Yeah. Yeah. Felix had a question that probably is going to help a lot of people. I think John, I hope, uh, or confuse them. Yeah. Well, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good question though. Um, yeah, and so I dove right into this here, and uh, basically, Felix's question. So, so he he had a problem that he solved himself, which was great. Yeah, but then he asked the question, basically saying, "Hey guys, how do I read these crash reports? What what, what do they mean? What's a crash report? What are they driving off? at? <laughs> so, what is a crash report? So, many of you, uh, unfortunately, probably have seen these in the past." And usually they present themselves in that your application will crash and that it will stop running. And then you're going to get a dialogue that shows you a whole bunch of uh, what, what is pretty much uh, developer gibberish. Uh, 
uh, <laughs> or geared towards developers. Um, and, and it saves this on your computer as well. Um, and if, and if you, how do you interpret what's in there? Boy, you know, it'd be great if there was an article that explained how to, how to interpret what's in there, Dave, guess what? There is an article seriously <laughs> to it. Yeah. Well, well, I figured, you know, Hey, gee, maybe there's something, maybe at Apple that explains how to do this. And in fact, there is. And I think it's TechNote 2123. And it goes into excruciating detail about what each portion of the crash report means. But that can get a bit overwhelming because there's a lot of stuff in there that for, for most people means nothing and is not helpful um, to help you identify why something crashed. For developers, it certainly is. Um, but I, Now, first off, where do you find these things? Because you'll you'll see a dialogue, it'll it'll be displayed on your screen, and then you can say yeah, and, and it'll ask you to put in some commentary. And typically, what happens is eventually, there uh, if you make the, uh, a certain choice in the operating system, it'll send those off to Apple so they can figure out what's going on. Um, but I would say the main thing, Dave, is uh, where you want to look if you want to try to diagnose a problem of, of software crashing r- repeatedly. Is you look in these. So first off, they're probably going to be in a library folder, um, your library folder. Um, and then you dig in. So you go to library, logs. And then last I looked here, at least on one of my systems here, there's going to be a directory called diagnostic reports. There's also another directory or folder called crash reports. But, but looking at least on my system in front of me here, uh, most of them are in diagnostic reports. And then you'll see a file that ends in a .crash. You may see other things like .spin or .shutdown uh, spin, uh, things like that. But .crash is the crash report. And if you double-click on it, it should open it up in the... um, Console app. Console. Yeah. Here's what you want to look for, I think, if you want to diagnose a problem. So ignore most of the gibberish here, because, again, it doesn't mean anything to you. But what you're going to see at some point towards the top is it's going to say crashed thread that's the important thing what is a thread a thread is um it's basically a program uh, running alongside a whole bunch of others or process it's it's a it's a piece of a program right right you can have multiple threads um you know programs can tell the computer to do multiple things kind of in parallel yeah it's a it's a it's a task Right. That, that's that's yeah, active. But but like John said, yeah, you can have many things running. And, and and what this is telling you is which of those tasks triggered this particular crash. And that's super helpful. Right. Because then what you're going to see after that is you're going to see a list of all the threads um, that were running at that point in time or that the uh, you know, that that program was launching. So you want to ignore <laughs> <laughs> all except the one that it said crashed. Yeah. So like I'm looking at one here right now. Uh, I'm not going to mention the, uh, <laughs> the program okay. that did it. <laughs> um, and it says crash thread, thread 12. So you look on the list and now I see thread zero, thread one, thread two. Thread, okay. Let's fast forward to thread 12. Sure. And so I'm looking at thread 12 and then what you're going to see is, uh, you know, things going in order then you're going to see the name of a process. 
um, or thread. And then after it, you're going to see a hex number. And then you're at some point, what you may see is the name of whatever module or program caused, uh, caused the grief. And it, or you may not. Uh, one example that I saw is that at one point I had iTunes crashing on me. Okay. And I was like, wow, why is it crashing on me? What's going on here? And eventually I looked in the crash report and I looked at the crash thread and I saw the word QT something or other. Oh, QuickTime. What actually happened is that there was a ancient QuickTime plugin oh. causing a crash. So that's how you read these. So look at the tech note. Um, to me, that's the quickest explanation. I don't know. If you have anything to add there, Dave, but uh. no, that that's, that's a good start. I mean, it, you know, the problem is it, it's impossible to go through and talk about every uh, permutation of what you're going to see inside these, but, and, and sometimes you'll, you'll follow the instructions that John gave exactly, which is exactly the same thing I do. Um, and probably the same thing all of us do. And you'll get to that thread and you'll look through it and you'll be like, yep, I have no idea. Yeah, and that that happens a lot, right? But sometimes, like John said, you know, if you look and and just think about what's happening there, it might actually help you diagnose a problem. It's certainly not a bad thing to do, but don't expect the crash reports to be a magic fix. You know, we've had uh, a lot of times you folks will, you know, if you if you have an app that's crashing or whatever, you'll email us the crash report and we do the same thing. This is the process we take and go through them. And sometimes it highlights the answer and sometimes it doesn't answer it at all and uh and we've gotten some frustration like well i sent you the crash report I'm like yeah i i know but it, it doesn't contain enough at least not for us now some maybe the developer would be able to look at it and say ah right i know what i'm doing there well, that's that's yeah. it because it's uh, it's often referencing um the name of something that the developer has uh has defined right and if they use nice descriptive names for what they're doing then um <laughs> then you'll figure it out but if they use uh you know crazy names for for you know their variables or their, or their function names then you won't figure it out you won't so. figure it out right or if you don't understand what their function would have been doing i mean sometimes you'll you'll see descriptive names you'll be like yeah still I, I, what what is what does this have to do with my app right or uh, what i'm doing but, it's not a bad right. place to start, but don't don't get too bogged down by it. If it's not immediately obvious to you what it is, move on and and test something else. Yeah, yeah. Now it's kind of sad, and you know, I was actually chit chatting with uh with our buddy uh, Alf um, Alf Watt the other yeah. day about this. Unfortunately, these reports are sent to Apple or automatically sent to Apple. They are not sent to the developer of the software that has crashed. Not on the Mac. Right. Currently, now, if, if Apple gets enough of them with a certain program, then they may, you know, ha call them, I, I suppose. But the thing is, there is no mechanism in OS X to send, uh, within the operating system, to send these crash reports to the developer. Now, right. He's actually working on a, uh, and we'll link to this, he's actually working on an open source uh, uh, thing to do this, which, which is great. That's great. That's a good thing. Now, the other thing is, if you get these crash reports, you may want to you may want to make a copy of them if you want to help the developer. If if the developer wants it, uh, and you can identify who they are, you may want to save it because, like I mentioned, eventually um, the OS will uh, send these off to Apple and delete them. 
Right. Right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. That's all, all right. I got to say. No, it's that. good. That's good. All right. Uh, let's see. What else can we do here? You know, let's go. We, we're, we're running short on time. We're running toward the end of our time together. But we've got a couple of tips that have come in that are good stuff. Uh, Simon says uh, he uh, he was having some issues with with iTunes and getting it to uh, sync properly with his phone. Uh, he says, uh, here's what he did. He says on the phone, I'd taken a screenshot of the music app so I could easily refer to artist album and track. He was getting, trying to get things where playlists would sync with the phone and they weren't. Um, so, uh, the first thing I did was to confirm that the affected tracks on the iPhone would play. Okay. In iTunes on the computer, no problems at all. Uh, deleted the entire music library off the phone by going to settings, general, usage storage manage storage so deleting it from there uh strangely this took me several attempts right simon combined with turning the phone on and off and resetting eventually the music storage amount had dropped to near zero i then connected my phone to my mac and loaded itunes but didn't sync uh at this point i turned off sync music and then synced a couple of times inside itunes after which iTunes confirmed there was no music on the phone, which I rechecked through managed storage on the phone. Call me paranoid, but I wanted to make sure I got this right. So he totally wiped. He used these steps to totally wipe out the music on his phone. Finally, at this point, I turned on sync music in iTunes and selected which playlists, etc. I wanted to sync to my phone and then clicked sync. Some hours later, all the music had copied across, which I confirmed by playing tracks from the songs uh, a music was shuffle selected and skipping to the next track several times. It was fixed for a time being and, and still is. Um, he says, uh, my analysis of what had happened because I had done a restore from an iCloud backup and then synced more music on from iTunes uh, because my new phone is a larger capacity. Somehow the phone and iTunes had gotten confused and or out of sync by this approach. I was able to resynchronize iTunes belief with what was on the phone against what is truly on the phone. And that I've seen happen where iTunes thinks that a specific song is on the phone, but it doesn't exist on the phone. And because iTunes thinks it's there, it doesn't push it to the phone when you do your manual sync. So wiping everything out and then turning, I think, I think a big part of it was turning off music sync in iTunes so that, and then turning it back on. In fact, that may have been the only thing you needed to do, but that's a good tip. So thanks for sharing that, that, uh, that path with us, Simon. Good stuff. Anything to add there, John? Have you had any, any experience with, with iTunes getting itself out of sync? No. No. Okay. Uh, let's see. So while we're working on syncing issues, um, Jeff wrote in and he said, uh, here's the problem that I had over the past few days. I've noticed that my Safari bookmarks were not updating on my iPad mini. I had my Safari bookmarks sync via iCloud in addition to my mail calendars and contacts. I'd make changes to my Safari bookmarks on my iMac, but would not see those changes reflected on my iPad. Then I made a change to bookmarks on the iPad and didn't see that reflected on the Mac or the iPhone. I thought I'd just go into settings iCloud and turn it off and back on and uh, then sync the Safari bookmarks. No changes. I didn't check my contacts and calendar and noticed there was no info in either of them. Now I was in freakout mode, so I checked my calendar and contacts on my Mac, iPhone, and on iCloud.com just to make sure I didn't lose anything, and I did not. After some quick Googling, I found the answer to this problem. What one must do is go into Settings, iCloud, and then delete 
the iCloud account on the device that has the issue. You then re-add the iCloud account and turn on each item that you want. After turning on each item, the data started to populate again on my iPad mini. Catastrophe diverted. So similar to the USB or Wi-Fi sync with iTunes, sometimes you just need to wipe it and start from scratch. And, uh, and that seemed to work well for Jeff. So syncing tips galore right there. Um, any, any, uh, any thoughts on that one, John, before we move on to our final tip of the day? Well, I want to say hi to the pugs. Of course, Jeff, Jeff has a couple of pugs. That's right. Um, so Rob has an interesting one. He said, yesterday evening, I was uh, listening to Mac Geek Eb as I drove uh, to collect my kids from band practice. I have my iPhone 5 and a holder high up on the dash, and I like to have the screen unlocked on the podcast app so that I have all the playback controls available. Since I don't have an iPhone 5S or 6, hence no Touch ID, I can't use the one-touch unlock that Touch ID gives. Okay. Uh, he says, I was getting bothered by the glare from the mostly white screen because the Mac Geek Gab's album art is predominantly white and bright. Uh, I then remembered the accessibility settings. By default, if you've turned on accessibility... A triple click of the home button inverts the screen colors. The contrast for driving at night was dramatic. And he took a couple of pictures to show us. So he says, and it, and it totally is. It, uh, it looks great. So he says, uh, if you're driving at night with your iPhone screen on and the image is very bright, maybe try the invert colors option inside settings accessibility to, uh, to do that. Just remember it's triple click on the home button to turn it on and off because that can be, um, if your if your phone gets into that mode, it can be really kind of uh, jarring, and and you might uh, freak out. So don't freak out; it's all good. You just need to um, uh, triple click it again; it comes right back. But that is kind of a fun trick to play on people if you're into that sort of thing. Turn yeah. on uh, turn on accessibility and do that. I would never yeah. do that. Uh, I've noticed some apps actually uh, will figure that out. Really? Oh, so an app can read the uh, the bit from from that and know, or or the time and uh, change the uh, huh? Like uh, Waze, I've noticed Waze no, uh, normally oh. has a white background, but yeah. if it's night, it has a black background, so it doesn't blast you. Does it do it when it's at night, or does it use the ambient light sensor to decide when it should do that? That's a great question. I I don't know. I'm, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, because it could I, do I, either, I right? You know, it it, um, it could do either. That might yeah. like my car does that um, when it senses that the headlights need to come on. It turns the headlights on and then changes the um, oh, display to go into night mode. Yeah, yeah, which is good. You know, I mean, it, that's that's how that kind of stuff should be done. Feedback at macgeekup.com is the email address to which you can send in your tips or questions or cool stuff found. I think we're the cool stuff found queue is, is piling up, so we've got one of those coming up here. So uh, so keep sending yeah. those in. Yeah. Me, Dave, I prefer to send emails to feedback at macgeekup.com. Now that's just because that's how you are, but really feedback at <laughs> macgeekup.com is the the right address. Come visit us on Google Plus, MacGeekup.com slash Google Plus. Uh, we'll get you there. It's an awesome community. And, uh, you know, even when I'm swamped and don't get in there to visit, you folks all answer answer each other's questions. It's fantastic. I really, really uh, love the way that uh, our community has come together there. So check it out. MacGeekUp.com slash Google Plus. And we look forward to seeing you there. How about the phone number, John? 206-666-GEEK, which is? 
four, three, three, five. That's what you say. I'd like to thank, uh, we'd like to thank Michael Johnston. He did not convert Mac Geek Up 520 to AAC. He, uh, he ran out of time with some of his classes that he's getting back in the swing of uh, there. But, uh, but he'll be back, and, and I think, hopefully, this one, 521, will have been converted to AAC for you. And uh, we certainly appreciate all the chapters that he adds and all that good stuff. He is, Michael is the host of the iOS show podcast and also of uh, the publisher of getappler.com. So check that out. Cashfly.com C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com is the place that provides all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you and they do a fantastic job with it. The podcast marketplace this month includes Barebones Software at Barebones.com Smile at SmileSoftware.com Gazelle.com uh, squarespace.com slash mgg as we mentioned in the show uh, lynda.com slash mgg l-y-n-d-a and uh, of course the folks at drobo with the coupon code mgg50 for 50 bucks off on the drobo third gen all through backbeat media thoughts john last little things do you have any advice for me as i'm uh, driving down to to meet you tomorrow before we head into new york um yeah, is uh, drive like a maniac. Okay, okay, check. <laughs> I'll, I'll write that down. Yes, yes, okay. But, um, you know, send me your uh, route with a glimp. glimpse. Glimpse? Oh, glimpse? yeah, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. right. Yep, okay. Yeah, I'll do that. Tool. Okay. Oh, and well, the final piece, because uh, things come in threes, um, is don't get caught. 